0: Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and out of the heart, the writer writes. So welcome to another book analysis from Flying Faith Talks, Biblical Counseling for the Creative Mind. Today's book analysis was originally recorded on November 22nd. This is episode number 26, and today we are reviewing Brian Mitchell's Infernal Fall. So earlier last summer, I was at the Realm Awards at the 2023 Realm Makers Conference in St. Louis, Missouri. And oh my gosh, what an honor. And it was very, very humbling to me to have my book be considered for an award there. And it was just uh, unreal. Honestly, it was just absolutely unreal. And while I was there, I met a lot of great authors, many of which, you know, I know for a fact have got to be like masters of their craft in order to be here. And among these absolutely wonderful Christian authors, men and women, I met one guy who was not only in the same category as me, his book was also in two other categories, So, I wasn't altogether that surprised when he did win our category. And, you know, I really can't complain because I just finished reading his book and it really was very, very good. Very well written. And the book I'm referring to today is Infernal Fall by Brian Mitchell. And something I found very, very interesting about this particular novel, uh, besides the fact that it is actually a Christian horror novel, I know, like, those are two words that hardly seem to go together but if any of you have listened to my previous episode dealing in nightmares then you know that horror in and of itself doesn't have to be a sinful glorification of gore and blood nor a romanticization of the dark and the occult and witchcraftian kind of stuff in order to do a horror right you have to do it from a biblical foundation and as i noted in that episode. It takes a highly talented Christian individual in order to get that to work. And by gum, Brian Mitchell did it. So, now some information on the book. Obviously, the author is Brian Mitchell. It was published by Descendant Publishing and released on October 25th, 2022. The print length of this book is 301 pages. And you can find this book in ebook, print, and audiobook forms. Its primary genres are horror, thriller, and suspense. And as far as accolades go, it not only won in the Realm Awards in 2023 for best horror, supernatural fiction, and for um, best cover art, which that is a pretty amazing cover art, but it has also won for 2023's Reader's Favorite, earning five stars, and 2023's Bookfest Awards. So, congratulations to. Mr. Mitchell on all those for a debut novel. Yeah, believe it or not, that third category that um, he was in at Realm Awards was for um, debut novels. So this was his first one. Daniel Strong is a troubled young man with only one bright spot in his life, his girlfriend, Christine. He hopes to propose to her on a hike in the mountains, but a mysterious artifact in a dark cavern ruins his plans. Things quickly go downhill, literally as handling the keystone causes Daniel to fall straight into hell, leaving Christine behind. A soul-harvesting demon tells him the only way out is through, that he must go to Satan and bargain for his freedom. But the shadow man responsible for leaving the keystone behind tries to show him there's another way out. Against his better judgment, Daniel finds himself listening to the demon's claims, that appealing to the master of the underworld himself is his only choice. As the unlikely group traverses the many levels of hell, hurt, anger, and fear hound Daniel, reminding him how hopeless his efforts truly are. All Daniel can do is push forward in hopes of making it back to Christine. Will Daniel heed Christine's words to choose life, or will he succumb to the lies piling him down with every step? So what makes Inferno Falls concept really interesting, I mean, aside from the concept of a man literally falling into hell itself, is that this was obviously, and quite interestingly, inspired by an old literary classic known as Dante's Inferno, which also has a story of a man traveling through hell. So I imagine that any of you who has read that classic, Classic, you know, and you read this, you're probably going to pick up on a lot of the fun uh, nods and Easter eggs that Brian Mitchell has written throughout this story. So that is an extra little bonus there, and you know, uh, I'm I'm kind of a little bit of an old soul myself. I'm young, but I'm an old soul where I appreciate when people look back at our predecessors and what they've done, and then building off from what they've laid. So I feel like Brian did a really fun little bonus for us when he was using a classic to try to make a new classic so bonus points to you brian bonus points to you and yet even if you've never read or never heard of dante's inferno though and you're up for something that's a sort of a darker kind of read think kind of like a lovecraftian kind of read i highly doubt you will be disappointed with inferno fall the second i began reading the first few pages the flow of the words was coming out just so smoothly And I could easily envision everything. I was just flowing through the whole story. And it continues to be ceaselessly interesting as you go through it. Honestly, the only reasons most of the time why I would put the book down was because either I'm really sleepy and it's too late. I was just tired out by the rest of the day. Or, you know, I have an appointment to get to. Because if left alone, I could easily just blow through the whole thing. And part of the reason for that is the different levels of hell and seeing the different kinds of uh, punishments for different kinds of people that you get to see. Now, I'm not saying that as someone who's just a sadist who just wants to watch other people suffer. It's the concept of the consequences that really gets my attention. You know the old saying, the punishment must fit the crime. Well, in this portrayal of hell, that's very much the case, where each section of hell... Has a particular area for a particular kind of sinner, and the punishment therein is attuned towards that particular vice. And I always found myself curious to see and hear what Brian Mitchell interpreted as appropriate punishments for people like um, a glutton, or a thief, or a murderer, or a hypocrite. And I mean, while I did recognize that some of the uh, punishments that he presented some of them were very very close to how the original Dante's Inferno had it. There is also an additional thing that sets this story apart from that story and that is our main characters. Now admittedly I think I only read part of Dante's Inferno in my literary class when I was in grade school. But if I do remember correctly, your main protagonist in Dante's Inferno was kind of more or less a bit of a blank slate. You know, the real show of the story in that um, original work was, you know, seeing the punishments and uh, understanding why the people are being punished that way. But in this story, we actually have a protagonist with a goal, a sense of personality, and it really helps color the situation from a more to me a more in-depth and thorough standpoint because I'll tell you why I think that this book in particular isn't simply just clever in how it presents the consequences in each circle of hell what I think is fantastic about it in particular is how this combination of unique lead characters and this setting of a Dante's Inferno style hell takes full advantage of hitting the truest, deepest, most awful thing about hell, and in turn, nails the most genuine of horrors of our lives. And that particular horror is knowing fully the truth about Christ, and yet not only being separated from him, but purposely hardened further against him, and forced to suffer with your true, unfiltered self. And that's the thing that I probably liked the most in Infernal Fall. Most portrayals of hell in fiction often depict those being punished as suffering and being sorry and weepy and wishing that they turned around. However, Infernal Fall takes the far more realistic and I'll dare say even theologically accurate view of a person's punishment there by making it so that though, yes, the people being punished are suffering in their punishment, they are at the same time angrier at God than ever and hate him more than ever and hate themselves at the same time. And to tell you the truth, as I pondered that concept while reading the book and comparing it to the scriptures, um, I think that that particular idea about what it's like to be in hell is probably more accurate than we think. Now, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm not claiming I'm right on this, like 100%, because obviously I've never been to hell. And (laughs) praise the Lord, I won't be. (laughs) But I sense that this is built off of the biblical truth that mankind is not basically good. Mankind, naturally speaking, rejects the Lord. Like, actively rejects the Lord. It's not just a passing oh I don't know about him so whatever no I according to the Bible people in their heart of hearts knows biblical God and they despise him they just don't want him and if you want further proof of what I mean about that read John 6 particular when Jesus is referring to himself as the bread of life now his audience was mem- people who have been following for a while his first early disciples And this was the same exact crowd who watched him feed over 5,000 people. And yet when Jesus says and speaks of himself as the bread of life, and that only to those who it has been granted by the Father to come to me will come to me. Many of them left. They rejected him. I mean, they knew the truth. They agreed with the facts that he was the son of God, and yet they still didn't want him. The Pharisees knew who Jesus was. They knew he was of God. They knew he was the son, but they didn't want him. They had him crucified. So it stands to reason that knowing the truth in hell, which everyone will be because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, knowing the truth isn't going to make people feel sorry and repentant and want to turn away in all likelihood, their condition is just going to end up worse. They're going to be even more hardened from him, and they'll hate him even more. And that hate piled on top of the hate for themselves that they're going to be enduring for eternity because now they've got nothing at all to bar them from the ugliness of their sin. I can then easily read a book like Infernal Fall and think to myself, you know, that's probably the most awful thing that a person can experience. And I think Brian Mitchell has produced a very, very insightful view of hell just by that concept alone. And when you're experiencing these areas of hell from the viewpoints of our three leads, Daniel, who is our human who's trying to escape hell, Bo, who was our shadow man who wants to save Daniel from hell, and Charles, who is our demon of sorts who is acting as an insidious guide to Daniel, it all thoroughly flushes out that theme. And not only do our three leads help flesh out the theme, they also bring to the forefront a lot of things that a lot of people would find very uncomfortable to talk about but needs to be talked about. Like being raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian, and even serving on a pulpit doesn't make you a Christian either. And then there are those uncomfortable truths that hit closer to home, where those tiny little things that we do that just seem average to most people, like climbing the corporate ladder, you know, trying to get a better job, or saving your money for your own sense of self-security, is also something that would come back to bite you in hell. Because apart from the Lord, we can do no good. And that's not my personal opinion talking here. That is literally coming from God's word. And for Brian Mitchell to be willing to address all these things earns my respect. And I found myself really liking when he would have um Bo, Daniel, and Charles talking about these sorts of things. And speaking of each of them, they each are quite interesting in and of themselves, too. You know, they're very well-written characters. Uh, Daniel himself, who has a really difficult time with his anger management issues and he has uh, parental problems where he's just not willing to forgive and forget most of the time he's the linchpin character where we don't know what direction he's going to go yet with his belief in christ or choosing to refuse christ because uh, throughout the story the holy spirit is described as working on him and trying to reach him he's not a christian yet though so it's interesting how throughout this journey a lot of the time daniel is watching all these people suffering as they are And there are even times when he actually tries to help the person who's suffering only for them to just snap back at him and curse God and just dive right back into the junk that they were in. He's being forced to reflect on himself. And sometimes as he's being forced to reflect on himself, sometimes that makes him wanna reject God. And sometimes that makes him wondering if maybe God would forgive him. So I suppose the most edge of your seat part about it, you know, where I'm personally not sure which way it's gonna go is with Daniel, because of the three leads, he's the only one who's really got a choice to make. And then you have Bo, who is a shadow man. That's how the book describes him. He seems to represent the more hopeful um, choice to Daniel. He's the one who keeps reminding Daniel to choose life and to not give in to the despair and the pain and the horror that's around him as he's going deeper and deeper into hell. You could almost say he's the one who carries the lighter side of things, not lighter as in like this isn't a heavy situation they're in. He's not a comic relief, but the one who kind of bears the hopeful idea that you can yet get out of here, Daniel. You don't have to live here. You don't have to go here. You don't have to reject God, you know. So um, it was good to see Bo trying to speak sense to Daniel in the midst of all the lies going on, especially from their guide who is Charles. And Charles is our uh, demon guide character. And I know this is going to sound very ironic, especially coming from me, who's written a book that involves angels and demons. But Charles actually ended up my favorite character because he is the most interesting one to follow. Not because I consider him an upstanding or secretly good character, but because of how layered he is. I would explain fully why but I think that's part of the joy of the story. You have to read the story in order to understand what I'm referring to here. But let's just say that Charles, as a worker in hell, has a lot of depth to him. And due to his presence and his slant in view of things, it offers a deeper insight to hell. hes You can basically say he represents mankind's warped view of God which is not strictly because he believes in a bunch of falsehoods about God, though he does believe in one or two of them. But rather, just like the Pharisees and just like the disciples I talked about from John 6, Charles knows the truth about God, he knows what God is really like, and yet he still rejects him, and he still has this slanted sort of distaste for God and what he does. He hates his own sufferings in hell, and yet he hates the idea of having empathy or having feelings or even being loved, not just by God, but by anybody. And the further and further you go in the story, and again, I would share it, but I don't want to spoil it because to me it was one of the strongest plot elements here. But Charles' development, followed by how things end for him at the very end, is pretty probably the saddest yet most raw part in the story not that I was crying or anything it wasn't like making me weep but I could feel the absolute tragedy of the whole thing because as he's going through this whole thing and it seems like he's undergoing some positive changes you know it's doomed from the start you can read the writing on the wall and how things end for him is something that He willfully chooses, and you just kind of knew he'd do that. And again, it is the worst thing about hell. Now, again, in my previous episode on this show, Dealing in Nightmares, I've talked a lot about what it would mean and what it should biblically look like to do horror stories right. And one of the chiefest aspects that is missing in most secularly sourced horror stories these days is there's no sense of hope. I know that sounds counterintuitive to a horror, largely because we've been trained up in this culture to view horror as something that's supposed to be 100% disgust and fear and junk all the way. But if we were to do horror biblically, where we do it in such a way that honors God, then the proper best kind of horror has to have a sense of hope. Our Lord God is the master author. He wrote the Bible, and in many places in the Bible, he purposely scares us with the consequences of sin and how deplorable it really is and how hopeless a position we are in when we can't do anything to escape this nature we have. But God didn't just write a critique of us telling us how horrible we are and just leave it at that and let us wallow in our misery. He orchestrated the Gospels. And even in the parts of the scripture that we could consider the most terrifying, there's still a red line that leads to Christ and calls up to us saying, there is hope. Your story doesn't have to end in a tragedy. Christ paid the sin debt. He wants to adopt you into his family. So if you hear his call, don't reject him. Go to him. So if God is the master author, not just of the Bible, but of all life, then it stands to reason that we as Christian creatives and artists and writers, um, we ought to include some level of hope in our stories as well. Because what are we supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen? We are supposed to honor God in everything we do, say, and I'd say also create. And I am happy to say that Brian Mitchell included strands of hope throughout the story. I mean, I already hinted at this with mentioning how Bo... In the story is an advocate for the side that chooses life he's the one who reminds daniel over and over again how the holy spirit is trying to get to him that he doesn't have to make a deal with the devil there's another sure better way out of hell and it's because of that fact along with the earlier elements i mentioned that i can honestly say that this to me is exactly what i was looking for and what i was talking about in dealing in nightmares episode Infernal Fall is horror done right. Now, that's not to say that the book is 100% perfect. Just as we are imperfect, the things that we make are also imperfect. For one thing, and uh, this I consider the biggest thing, is that while this story does excellently capture the genuine horror of hell, and I consider it a reasonably realistic idea of how people would emotionally experience hell at the same time it is not an accurate accurate view of hell and that's to be expected since brian mitchell um, took a lot of inspiration from dante's inferno by basing the concept off of dante's inferno it inevitably inherited some of the theological fallacies and inaccuracies of its predecessor to give just a couple brief examples There is no biblical validation for the existence of limbo. In fact, there are many, many passages that I can bring up that would outright contradict the idea of that sort of thing's existence. And another inaccuracy would be the idea that Satan is in hell or that his demons are in hell or actively working there. Like, this book acts as though hell is going to have this some sort of hierarchy of demonship who decides who goes where and who gets punished in what way. In reality, the Bible describes that hell is going to be a punishing place for demons too. So I don't think demons are going to be enjoying their time or enjoying any sort of authority, which is what they really want, if they're being punished forever in hell. Everything, including hell, is in God's hands too, you know. And Satan is not in hell yet. He at present, according to the Bible, is roaming the earth, raging and seeking who he can devour. So you can kind of see how this whole idea that Satan is running hell and collecting souls falls flat on its face. Anyway, due to these inaccuracies, um, I would absolutely recommend that you don't read Infernal Fall thinking, oh, this is how hell exactly is. (laughs) Clearly it isn't. But the emotional and the spiritual truths that it has to represent are worth thinking about. And whatever other little criticism I have are mostly nitpicks. Like, for example, I'm not entirely sure I fully understand what a shadow man really is. I mean, Bo is a shadow man, but, you know, if it was fully explained near the beginning of the story exactly what that means and where shadow men come from or why they're here, then... Maybe I missed it or I forgot, but many times during the story, I was thinking to myself, okay, now, uh, why do you exist? What, what are you exactly? I'm not sure. It's like, you're not an angel, but you're not a demon, so what exactly are you? And I felt the same way about a couple other characters in the story that I'm not mentioning due to spoiler factors. But anyway, that's kind of a minor nitpick, especially when you realize we have to approach this book as clear, pure fiction. You know, It's not meant to be your hitchhiker's guide to hell. And another minor nitpick, I call this one a really small nitpick because this is just my personal taste. I don't really think that he did anything wrong. It's just something that I would do differently. Uh, Some of the more emotional scenes I wanted to have more time with. I kind of felt like some scenes were a little too rushed for my liking. But hey, that really says something when you wish parts of the book were longer, doesn't it? (laughs) And as for my last couple of criticisms for the story is that I kind of wish we had a little bit more of the gospel in this one. I mean, it was hinted at plenty of times, but I felt like it really didn't come out strong enough in certain ways. But again, I'm going to say a big but here. This is a book one. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Infernal Fall is a book one. There's actually a second book that I think that just came out. So as far as I know, maybe the gospel comes out more in the sequel. And lastly, and this is kind of an odd one for me because I'm not sure if this is to be a criticism or a compliment because I really love the presence of the Holy Spirit in this story. I liked how it's working on Daniel. I like how it is affecting the people or I guess the demons around Daniel as he's going through hell. But I can also see how this could... Confuse some readers, and it could become a really positive or really negative thing depending on how they interpret it. Like the Bible does say that the Holy Spirit has to do a work upon the lost sinner's heart before they will be awakened to the truth of the word and turn to Him. So when I look at it from that angle, even though Daniel is not saved, I see this as a very interesting portrayal of the biblical concept of pre election that the saving of sinners is a work of the holy spirit which prompts that person to make the decision to choose the lord as savior that angle is perfectly fine and it biblically agrees however i can also see how some people who may not have as strong a grasp on the scriptures might interpret it as oh the holy spirit's already on daniel so he doesn't have to accept Christ or the Gospels or undergo any sort of regenerative, redemptive repentance. That interpretation of this portrayal of the Holy Spirit could be damaging. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I wished that the Gospel message was brought up a little more clearly in this book. But like I said, this is a part one, and there's a part two, and maybe there's even a part three. I really have no idea if this is supposed to be a trilogy. But with even with these little criticisms aside, largely speaking, Infernal Fall was excellently crafted. If I were to consider the core passages that would fuel the deepest part of Infernal Fall's story, I actually wouldn't just point to one verse. I would actually point to two. Jesus said in John six thirty seven. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never throw out. And in Romans 8:38 38-39, Paul wrote, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as Daniel in this book is faced with the ugliness of his choices, we too face the ugliness of our choices, but with an ultimate choice. We can choose to hate the Lord. We can choose to reject who he is and just continue in what we're doing. Or we can choose life. And so long as we are not in the grave, there's still hope. You can still be changed into newness of life by God's grace and his spirit. And Brian, if you're listening to this podcast, a heart like yours has to be brimming with the hope of Jesus Christ and his gospel in order to produce a thriller like this. The Lord has greatly gifted you, and I implore you to not only keep speaking about Christ through your works, I would in fact implore you to speak even louder for you and I both were at one point dead men walking, but then have tasted and experienced salvation that lifts us from our ashes to his garden. And on a personal note, I am absolutely proud to have been considered worthy of standing beside you, my brother in Christ, at the Rome Awards. Congratulations on the big win. I absolutely look forward to hearing how the Lord will move through your next works. Keep on shining the light in the darkness, Brian, and I will see you all next time. Thank you so much for joining me on this special Flying Faith Talks book review. And hey, if you would like me to review another book on this podcast, or perhaps you're a Christian author and you are seeking free constructive advice and encouragement like what you've heard today, then submit your ebook or audiobook to CelestialFlyingFaith at Outlook.com. One more time, that is CelestialFlyingFaith at Outlook.com and include it under the subject line, Review Request. And let me also give a quick reminder, no erotica, okay? I do pretty much any genre, but no erotica. Also, if you are listening to this podcast and you like what you hear, Feel free to visit me at flyingfaith.org. We have so many great articles and web pages for you to check out, including stuff on my book where you can buy it, learn more about it. Or if you subscribe to flyingfaith.org, my subscribers receive exclusive newsletters every month. And even currently, right now, they are getting weekly reports on my current work in progress. So if you would like to have a behind the scenes, direct look into what's going on each month or what I'm personally doing, then once again, subscribe to my free newsletter on flyingfaith.org. You'll find the page. You can't miss it. All right. Thanks, guys. That's all for today. Be safe. God bless and see you later.